listeners, new listeners and people who've accidentally clicked on the link, welcome back to another exciting episode of The Madam's Cast. And exciting it is indeed, because we have a very special guest joining us this week. Um, Before we dive into that, all the usual house rules, please. If you're going to listen, would you mind downloading? It's just a bit better for our numbers and it makes it easier for other people to find us. If you just stream it, it doesn't quite work so well. Um, But then at the end of the day, it is entirely up to you. And I'm just grateful that you're listening in the first place. So welcome aboard um, and we'll dive on in. Uh, This week's guest is um, someone who I only met last year over a bowl of cold pasta salad in one of the grooviest locations I've stumbled upon whilst I was exploring uh, my new home to be. Uh, And I think that's probably an enigmatic enough introduction uh, for the powerhouse that is Xanthi Gladstone. Xanthi, are you there? I'm here. I I thought for a second you weren't. (laughs) I'm here. I like that introduction. That was great. Oh, an enigmatic powerhouse. Well, I think, you know, that's that's how I see you. But then um, I think it would be better uh, if we found out a little bit more about you. As everyone will know, including yourself, the Madam's Cast is all about food, farming, foraging, people and the planet. So you obviously have something to do with those things. Now, I know, well, but it's sort of better if you introduce yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think I kind of incorporate a little bit of, of everything maybe this podcast is about. Um, I am 25, I live in North Wales, um, and I'm a chef and grower, um, and I, yeah, I I live and work in North Wales. Um, I work part-time for my family businesses, which are a pub, a farm shop, a bakery, a farm, and um, a festival, and we have a, a holiday accommodation business where I met you last year. Um, up in Scotland um, and so I work part-time for them most of which are based here in North Wales and then um, I also grow vegetables and cook food. that's in a nutshell right <laughs> there isn't enough time in the day to do all of those things <laughs> yeah maybe okay so you're very very busy and um you know this is the world we live in, right? We live in a world where often we meet people and then we sort of keep an eye on them via social media. And that's what I've been in a, in a totally non-stalker-like fashion, in a normal <laughs> world way. I've just been watching you on Insta and I've been enjoying your journey over the last year with your growing experimentation, your, um, your sort of interesting and intriguing, I guess, approach to that, um, which is quite interesting. So, um, I'd like to. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, and I'd love to know how you ended up in in North Wales. I mean, is North Wales is that where you you hail from? Is that just home and has ever been? Well, I grew up in Scotland, um, so that's where Glendai is. Um, and then I, I moved after I went to university in Edinburgh, and after I left Edinburgh, I moved to London, which was kind of the thing that everyone was doing at the time. Um, and I kind of knew from the outset that I wasn't going to be to London, but I tried it anyway. Um, and last year and a half there, not my best years. Um, I loved parts of, of Liverpool, but generally I just wasn't really obliged there. Um, and my parents were then living in North Wales, which is where um, a few of these family businesses are based. So it kind of made sense to move back there. 
in the period of time that I had quit my job in London, but onto cooking school in Ireland, um, and just kind of start to get a feel of growing. So I literally died. I think, I think, yeah, I think the reason why I really enjoy talking on Instagram and, and posting my work is because I think it's really fun to actually use that platform as, as a, as showing the journey, not just like the, this is, this is the final product me after I've learned everything, but actually the, me very much learning as I go, growing things for the first time, trying to cook things for the first time, having all of these mistakes and errors that ultimately will help me grow. And so it's it's definitely, yeah, it's a journey that I'm on, but um, I'm very, very happy. Good. Oh, well, that's, wow. That Do you know what? That is great. I mean, at the beginning of your opening uh, introduction, mentioned that you're 25 and I would imagine that being a 25 year old right now is probably pretty, I mean, I was oblivious when I was 25. I just thought everything would be fine. Uh, so it was a bit different for me, but I think being a 25 year old at the moment, it's probably quite an interesting thing in most experience. It's great to hear you saying how happy everything you're doing is making you. So um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just dive straight in. I'm really excited um, to hear about what you'd like to change uh, in the world of food. We sort of step through a mythical vortex um, down a beautiful woodland glade into this new copy of the world and you get three opportunities to change um, to change things to do with the world of food uh, and then we you know we'll, we'll discuss them um, and we'll make them happen and uh, ultimately unfortunately you don't get to stay there uh, but it'll be a, it'll be a good record for us uh, in the future and we'll be able to look back and see how we how we got on um, uh, life unfortunately is never never always quick to solve things but having the conversation is a great way to get going so um unless there's anything else you'd really like to get out of the way before we dive in i'd love to hear what your first okay so i'm going to start light-hearted and then maybe go a little bit more to the end so my when i was thinking about this earlier i was thinking that in my world what's something that you know on a light-hearted level i would like to change and my suggestion which might be one of the niche ones you've had on here before um is that I would have chicken generally that could clean themselves out. It didn't have to have huge of anything clean out their poop. <laughs> um, okay, know, so self. <laughs> it's it's a very selfish it's a very selfish um want to change world. Hopefully, I'll move on to ones that you know are a bit more meaningful afterwards. But I love my chickens, and they lay the most beautiful eggs. But I absolutely hate them out. It's the worst job ever. So if we had little chicken-sized brushes and spades, and they just got on with it themselves, then that would that would mean a lot to me. <laughs> I think this is this is absolutely brilliant. Well, I mean, I I, I totally with you, right? There are some chores involved, and uh, and sometimes embracing when you change something in your life, like to make your food better, like eating chicken. Um, mm. it, you know, the chores involved are sort of offset by the joy of the results and actually you realize that that's you know the labor is part of the um is part of the overall deal um of of caring more about where your food comes from and, and having it as close to you as possible but i 100 percent agree with you that cleaning out chickens <laughs> is a rubbish job right i'm gonna i'm gonna uh, absolutely accept that and i'm sort of charmed uh, I'm sort of charmed by the idea of a few little peeking bantams in a sort of, you know, miniature uh, miniature beauty salon scenario, sort of being crimped and having a nice time with each other. 
<laughs> I, I'm sort of there. I mean, I sort of, you know, yeah. Um, I think it's just because, particularly at the moment, um, I've got 20 hens and they're in lockdown. Obviously, it's a bird flu outbreak, and you have to clean them out more often mm. in winter anyway. So, because they're now in their coop, I mean, they've still got space, they're very lucky in terms of, but they are still under a netting. So, they don't, they're not roaming around the entire garden like they are. So, they ha- I have to clean them out about once, whereas usually in the summer, I, I can go about. So, it just feels never ending. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I mean, I think, you know, that it, yeah, I mean, what can I say? I'm with you 100%. If livestock would learn to blooming well look after itself, the dream of home farming <laughs> would be an awful lot easier uh, all around, to be honest. And certainly, um, certainly. Certainly self-worming pigs would be a bit less hazardous than the, uh, as I like to call it, the sort of dangerous disco of trying to inject your pigs once they get a bit big. They're lovely, aren't they, when they're small, but once they get a bit bigger, oh, I'm not going in there. (laughs) Yeah, oh my gosh. Um, Yeah, I haven't, my livestock ends with chickens for the moment. I've got two donkeys, but they are very looming. So I think I would probably, yeah, go as far as saying all livestock can look after themselves. On, when, I, when I get to that yeah. point one day. <laughs> nice, nice. I like it. I like it. And do your chickens, do they cause problems in the garden? I mean, if you're trying to grow stuff, I remember I had some chilli plants once that I was hardening off and my um, mm. ever-elusive uh, yet utterly brilliant wife let the chickens out so they could free roam in the garden. And I came home from work all proud and excited to have a look at my chilli plants and discovered five little stems. Oh, no. um, pecked clear pecked clear of all kinds of you know vestiges of foliage and um, so i'm just wondering i mean do you have to do you have you carefully trained them what they're allowed to eat and what they're not allowed to eat well i actually got my chickens in at the end of last summer so well in july and at the beginning they had they were in a section of the garden because it's a walled garden that i grow in and they had a section of the walled nice. garden um, and that was big enough for them. And at the beginning, they were a little bit more shy. They didn't they didn't have as much confidence. Whereas now, well, before the lockdown, they figured out exactly how to jump over the, well, fly over the gate and the hedges that separate their section from the rest of the garden. And they, there is no point in having that, that barrier there. Like they go anywhere they want now. Whereas last season, they were, they weren't sure whether they could do that. And now they do. So that this is one of the challenges that I'm going to have this year and I think it's going to have to I use the greenhouse to grow like tomatoes and chilies so those should be safe and shut but I think I'm going to have yeah. to go hard on the netting because they ate all my cavolo nero before the lockdown started like in a in a day yeah um so yeah we'll have to see I know it's going to be the next challenge <laughs> yeah i'm with you i'm totally with you but hey i mean they are keeping the slugs down and they're providing you with some nitrogen rich fertilizer and look i'm guarantee that annoying as it is when they eat your cavalo nero when they've eaten something that's dark green and delicious as that you yeah you'll never get a better egg yolk will you i mean yeah that's and also as you were saying at the beginning like i i um I don't really eat much. I don't. I'm a vegetarian, but I don't really eat much dairy unless I know where it's from and that I can trust, you know, where it's come from. And the same beforehand with eggs. So, you know, having my own eggs and knowing exactly what my chickens ate and where they've grown and all of that stuff is 100% worthwhile. Worth the pain of making to my garden. So, 
I'm not complaining. Absolutely. There, there, there is always a trade-off, right? And the danger um, with food production being, you know, further away from where we are and being reduced to a commodity by a retailer is that is that you lose that and you forget that there needs to be a trade-off between good food and the amount of work that goes into it and, you know, custodianship yeah. of the creatures involved and management of the plants involved and the habitats that they're all in because none of that stuff is ring-fenced. It's all joined up, right? Exactly, exactly. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. Okay, so um, I'm with you. Okay, uh, point number one, absolutely. We will change the world on that one. All livestock to look after itself, please. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that one. And there is something, you know, there's something decidedly unpleasant about a, a messy chicken and I mm. it doesn't matter how much okay. you line it with newspaper or you're careful about it it's always a faff getting it cleaned out yeah. and there's always one broody hen who wants to have a go at you the whole time that you're doing it yeah. as well so um <laughs> so I uh, watch yourself and get yourself some some leather trousers so that they can't damage you too much <laughs> right um number two let's have Let's have point number two from you. Um, okay, so point number two, I guess, is a little bit more um, heavy, but I would go back in time and I would make sure that chemicals weren't into, were never into farming, like pesticides, herbicides, everything that is, is plummeted now and, and is a really normal part of farming. Um, I think if that was never in the first place, there wouldn't be such a, you know, organic has become almost such an elite um, label. Um, and you know when we think back to what organic really means it's the most natural thing and but because it's more expensive and it's much harder to access now because we've got the comparison of um, you know chemical rich farm food um, then we wouldn't have so many problems if they just never be we wouldn't have to go back so far now so that would be my second one yeah 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 and 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 it's a noble one and I Okay, I agree with you, right? Let's put, let's chuck that out there, right? I think um, the idea of calling what we have as industrial farming now, in inverted commas, traditional farming, is quite frankly bonk. It's only existed mm -hmm. for sixty or seventy years at the outmost, and 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 um, you know we're already seeing the damage from that. And and actually, um, you know, the guy who got a Nobel Prize for inventing uh, <laughs> inventing it sort of I know. Um, uh, did say that we've got 30, 30 or forty years of this before yeah. it all goes wrong and it's not a cure-all forever but if we're going to look at it I mean how it came about which you, you know was these sort of chemicals were invented to make weaponry and then the wars ended which was a good thing um, and there was lots of shortage of food and they were able to take these sort of nitrogen rich compounds and turn them into uh, and turn them into fertilizers and you can see why that was you know grabbed hold of and yeah. cherished yeah, of course, because of course. everyone was and like I completely drink agree. And but I, I sort of wish that the w wish that th there had been at that point where where we had solved so many now turned out to kind of stab us in the back i wish that those issues mm. solved was something natural that has then had then benefited us generation after generation rather than the soil and depleting our health but it had it had done all the good stuff plus more good stuff rather than having such bad consequences alongside its invention. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you. And you know, this is uh this is a matter close to my heart. I mean <clears throat> It can't go on, uh, and there's lots of reaction against it uh, on the one hand, and then on the other hand, we still have lots of you know developing systems where where this is being intensified, and 
it's slightly frightening and everyone it's a very polarized argument and that is the problem really yeah. is that yeah. it doesn't need to be i think ultimately farmers get fed up with getting it in the neck they've been told for the last 50 years that they're a business they need to make it bigger more efficient they need to streamline it and this is the way to do it this is the way to do it this is the way to do it and then you know regardless of the chemical consumption the lack of rotation in farming the over mm-hmm. um the over tilling of the soil which breaks down all the fungal structures you know yada 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 it could go on forever and ever and ever and the more you remove certain pests from the system the more you realize that bird life was dependent on it and you, you can't change i mean we are brilliant as humans at standing on the outside of nature and going oh we just need to change this but we're part of yeah, it exactly. and everything we change yeah. has a massive reaction um yeah i mean we are preaching to the converted with that one so i think that's for sure but how do we how do we get yeah. there that's what i want to know yeah. how do we get no i know and come on give me some, why, give me some that's, ideas. <laughs> that's why i kind of want to go back in time and be able to never have introduced it so you don't have this polarization so it's not like organic food yeah okay it's great but it's for only can afford it but i wish it was sort of the mainstream and there was you know it was it was normal for us to be as we say within nature and looking at it from within looking at it from the outside because we are part of that and also as you mentioned a bit earlier sort of rather than thinking of food as commodity thinking that as this thing that nourishes us that nourishes the soil that nourishes wildlife and all of all of it together and and not kind of separating ourselves from the foods and putting ourselves within it I think obviously this is the biggest system so Unfortunately, I don't have the answers, but I think, yeah, it's something that I've just been about a lot. You know, why it's it's kind of when I talk to people about the food that I choose to buy, I'd say I'd always organic everything where I can, vegetables, dairy products, pulses or whatever it may be. And that's always a, a surprising thing for people because it's so not normal. Um, because organic, the word organic limitations or something at its core, really good for us and the environment, really good for the wildlife and everything. But it's kind of, it's got the whole food attached to you know, LA smoothie diet attached to it. And it's not just a mm. nourishing thing. It's, it's become something quite like connected to the wellness industry rather than just fundamental what we should be eating. Yeah. 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 I totally get it. I totally get it. And it's sort of, it's weird, right? Because uh, one of the things I always get is there's people are yeah I mean generally speaking as a society we're very forward thinking we've got a lot of initiatives right now for green power you know we've got a lot of initiatives to get people out of hydrocarbon hungry cars whether that's you know whether that should be accelerated to the rate that it is being so I don't know because ultimately if you've got to make a new vehicle that's more carbon expensive than the old one that was already in existence yeah. but it, it, you know there's going to be problems there's going to be problems you know reaching every goal I get that. Um, and yet food, which is, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt, one of the biggest, uh, you know, shifters of carbon and other things, and one of the biggest manipulators of environment globally. And you hardly get any reaction to it at all. You know, if you if you try and frack uh, gas from a shale bank in North Yorkshire, people will turn up, light and pitch, harass your legal activity yeah. until you give up on it. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It might not be the right way to go about it, but it's not necessarily a bad mm-hmm. thing. Uh, you know, that it makes people furious and they get on it. But food and its production, it seems a little bit like you're either, to this day, you're either a sort of slightly lefty hippie. Okay, maybe I am. That's fine. I don't mind. You can pigeonhole me however you like. But, it, it, or, or you're sort of mainstream and that's it. There's nothing in between. But that, there, there is. Yeah, I mean, definitely. we're all making decisions every day about trying to be more 
um, or less impactful with our the way that our lives are. Uh, and and it, it just seems that food is always the last thing to be considered. I mean, maybe that's just because we don't think about it till we're hungry. I don't know. But I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm going to dust yeah. off the DeLorean and... Uh, uh, and fire up the um, the flux capacitor, and we can whiz it up to eighty eight miles an hour and head back and sort that out. We just rock up at the laboratory, you and me, in some kind of some kind of hippie bubble, and go, no, 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 you're not putting those chemicals together, man. Stop it. Yeah, um, <laughs> that would be a good one. I tell you, it would be really would be a really interesting essay to see how that would have changed the recent history. I mean, that would be it yeah. would have phenomenal you know impact it's a real sliding door moment that one and and a brilliant yeah. one to pick out and and choose so um let's do that um okay well we're whizzing through these that's great um you've got one left consider carefully because like the genie i will not give you an extra wish you are only allowed the three um so i, I want to know and, and i'm intrigued to know Okay, so my first one is a very self, a very self-indulgent one, which I'm sure other people would appreciate too. That's sort of more about like my 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 everyday life now. My second one is kind yeah. of looking back at, at the past system and how we could, you know, how things might if one decision without the natural means. The third one is thinking ahead. Uh, this was this wasn't actually intentional. I didn't actually put them the three presses like this, but the third one is. Uh, you know, as I said, I'm only 25, um, but hopefully one day I'll have children. And one day, I think that, well, one day soon, I would really, really, really like um, food to be a much bigger part of children's education um, schools, because obviously you know, we are, we learn what we are taught when we're younger. Um, and that's how we, that's how we go on living our decisions throughout the rest of our lives. So I would love, you know, um, proper farming to be taught in schools, what the farming systems are, what food does, you know, what you and turn you up, you help, um, you know, food being enjoyed, um, treat food being enjoyed in moderation, i.e. like, you know, when I was a child, I could have been mad, like I was really banned from sugar. But I obviously, I was so angry with my parents because they didn't let me have sugar, but I had no idea why until I was a day, why the sugar made me so crazy and then feel so low and have a massive tantrum after. And obviously, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to have to find different ways of the children thing. But these children, you know, I know you have children um, currently, not in the future like myself, but the children are the <laughs> ones that are going to be able to, to change um, our food system. Um, and make better decisions and help persuade big markets and big corporations to to support smaller farmers, growers, whatever it may um, um, prioritize animal welfare and all of that stuff. And also just teach children the enjoyment of food, not so much just this uh, to enjoy it and utilize it to their benefit. Um, so yeah, teaching children about food generally. Oh well, it's a good one, and it's uh, it's definitely one that's that's come up before. Um, and I'm interested. Okay, so. Let's dive into that a little bit to use some horrendous corporate speak. Let's zoom in uh, a bit <laughs> and I, just give me an example of, a, let's say, an early years at school, let's say a child of six or seven. And how would you engage? Give me an example of a lesson and mm. how you'd hook them in, because most kids... Let's face it, if you look like you're doing something interesting and there's food in, <laughs> you know, it's more a case of how do you stop them being interested rather than how you get them interested. So I just, I, yeah. it'd be really nice to hear from you. And this is totally unprepared, right? I get that. So don't worry. But 
it would be interesting to hear from you like almost like a sort of a little lesson plan tell me how you would for a six-year-old begin them on a, a kind of a journey that was going to yeah. end up with a positive change okay so so if we had one this is again off, off, obviously off, off the, my head so if we had one class of yeah, yeah. you know one week one week one week a month say or one week every half term we would go to visit a farm whether that's vegetable growing livestock whatever or you know proper plant with a bit of everything there would there would be a sort of yeah two two term um visit to a farm where because obviously that again I don't have children so I'm not 100% sure but I think the best to get them involved firsthand um if you're getting them to do active farm if it's just showing them around but vision connected to it and the you know the person that's taking them around the farm or if it's the the teacher of the class explaining as you go around the farm is why you know the we have pigs in here or helps fertilize the plant that makes the plants go better grow better all of that kind of, um because if you were if you're studying this as a university theory present graphs and all of that but ultimately how you're going to learn is by seeing it firsthand um and you're not going to take a child to like to an abattoir or something horrendous take them to where it's happy positive exciting way where they can really connect with it first um and then another thing i would do my other class idea is um i would i would do cooking classes um and again really simple stuff really fun stuff but what we would do we talk about talk you know the class would be about say cake what the class would be about the eggs and we talk about the eggs and we talk about the farm the, the eggs farm, or it would be about the flower and we talk about the fact that you know how you grow flour and then how it gets to our kitchen so you know focusing on the ingredients before the kids go mad or whatever it may um but actually getting them involved in processes so they understand how food gets to become food like it doesn't you know you don't you don't miss buying it in a packet it's actually really fun and scrapping bingo yeah. absolutely <laughs> absolutely bingo. i think that is gold standard number one point begin with uh, is yeah. even if you are buying it in a shop ready you need to understand that it did magically arrive and yeah. until you do and, and 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 let's be clear i think that's very cleverly indirectly marketed to everybody in a developed country these days that we can wander down the road it's probably not that far away all right it's probably a bit further for you and it's probably a bit further for me <laughs> but you have to wander down that you have to wander down that road you can find a building the size of a football full of foods from all over the world none of which will cost you more than a fiver and they will always be there it's like some kind of magical mm. aladdin's cave and if you took someone from a hundred years ago and put them in a supermarket they would honestly not believe it they would think they would died and gone to some kind of heaven and we're privileged to have that kind of abundance but is it real? You know, it, it, do we appreciate the value of getting it there? And I think that is the most important lesson for children and an awful lot of adults that, you know, food is not produced by magic. And also, interesting, I think probably not at six years old, although certainly I know some six years old that could, that could cope with it. I think children who are going to eat meat or have been eating meat at some point should be introduced to not necessarily the act of animal slaughter, but yeah. certainly be in its environment and experience the carcasses whole hanging up. I mean, yeah. I remember as a as a young-ish child watching, you know, walking down the town on a Tuesday morning or something to go and have a dentist appointment before school or whatever, and the the lorry would arrive outside the local butcher shop and they'd open the back and hanging up in there would be whole sheep quarters of cows and half mm. pigs and big 
big men and it was always men then big men would pick them up and carry them into the butcher's shop and i don't remember being freaked out by that i remember thinking that's interesting the the animals are going in the butcher shop and then they get cut up and sold to people that that's what that's what happens yeah. and the meat's all laid out and you see it and now everything is is very much hidden away it's all sort of you yeah. know you can now buy well, and i know you never were because you don't eat meat you can now buy a chicken that's in a bag inside the oven in the bag so you never even have to witness yeah. the raw plucked animal yeah. and, that, and that also it's really uncommon to go to more... a butcher you know yeah yeah like it, well it, i have to say that seems to be Go on, go on. <laughs> no, I was just going to say, you know, that kind of pre-packaged, bone, filleted, skins, whatever, is the norm. We, we are we are driven away from that experience you had as a young boy and really understanding that at what you said about engaging children with that is really like the I only went vegetarian um, about five or six years ago. But my kind of thing about going vegetarian is that unless I can um, kill the animal and, and connect with the process turning food, then I won't eat it. And I, I did actually eat a bit of stock. I wasn't fussy when I was um, in Ireland. We actually did slaughter a chicken, but that experience won't be again because it was so harrowing as an experience. And that's just one chicken in, in on a farm, you know, organic farm in the middle of Ireland. Um, so I actually didn't. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's too sanitised. Yeah, there's a great book, actually. Uh, there's a journalist called, uh, Lou hang on a minute, Louise Gray. I think her name's Louise Gray. I'm desperately rifling through my somewhat befuddled filing system in my brain. I think that's her name. <laughs> and she, uh, she has an experiment. She started eating meat, but only if she'd killed it herself. And she did that, I think, for a year or 18 months. And then she wrote a brilliant uh, book that was a collection of essays about these experiences and really in depth look at it and I, I mean we're always this is a long format interview right and and even here we can't really delve properly into the thought process or the conversation we had around such mm. a complex as that um, and I would defend hey listen I will defend anyone's right to choose what food they eat I think that's a number one priority uh, for everyone yeah, and I don't 100%. have I don't I'm not one of these some um, chefs I, mean, I probably used to be but I'm not one of these chefs that sort of knock vegetarians or or even vegans mm -hmm. you know I would always encourage anyone to be thoughtful about what they eat. And then that journey takes them to a certain place and it's based on their own thought processes. And I would much rather that than just not thinking it at all, which sounds like a really condescending, but sometimes yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. during conversation across like that. But um, that's a book. If you've not read it, it's a worth, Definitely I mean, it would be interesting that, for you yeah. to pick it up because it is, it's worth having a look at. Um, I enjoyed mm -hmm. it a lot. And um uh, and a very a much much older book obviously because we're using chicken as the example that you were talking about there it's a brilliant book uh, called planet chicken uh, by hattie ellis uh, which is well worth it as well so um <clears throat> i'll leave my book recommendations there for now i think yeah, um but I better think... education yeah. sorry yeah so um better education in in schools in and around food including a bit of cooking and some farm visits that doesn't sound like something that shouldn't be happening to me that sounds like a very normal part of growing up that should absolutely be taking part at school but i also think um some education at home and and that is part of the problem i think at home that happens stressful yeah. i know that the lives both parents working and all of that stuff but um you know it's not going to get fixed overnight, but uh, that's it's your future point. It's your future plan. So mm -hmm. we'll be able to follow up on that one in a few years, Anthony, and see how it's going. Hopefully, yeah. I have faith. I <laughs> hopefully, have faith hopefully, yeah. Going.
I do have faith that, you know, people are starting to acknowledge, it, apart from anything else, except, you know, just the health-related issues to eating, you know, overly processed that, you know, especially related to COVID and the fact that so many um, stats have come out of COVID and how real health-related problems are in pre-existing health and being able to as a way to prevent um city and health yeah yeah i mean the vast majority yeah absolutely and the vast you know the vast majority i mean there are some people finding costs i know that we have is skewed away from um nutritious fulfilling food uh and that Mm. is definitely a big part of the problem and as you say there'll be some really really interesting statistics um for comparison late in later years when this is all settled down as to look at what the differing impacts would have been yeah i think not pinpointing it as consumers fault is really essential as like a systemic not saying you know what's your fault you buy the chips every or the chips the chips so um you know they're going to be bought and they're going to be prioritized on a on that basis so i think yeah not saying not saying it's fault but the bigger the bigger system allowing that for the board yeah we i mean we need freedom of choice but we also need you know we also need um healthier or more wholesome food that are delicious yeah. <laughs> you know to be available yeah. at, at, at you know at, at some kind of some kind of even footing would be nice but um mm-hmm. yeah i totally get you and it's a biggie um, um it's, a, it's almost as if we've stepped into a fourth point so i must carefully sort of rein us back to where yeah. we were otherwise, <laughs> um, otherwise this Sorry. temporary universe yeah yeah well it's probably my <laughs> fault but if we're not careful we um the paradox curve we're using to create this alternative universe will will collapse and we'll be stuck there forever, um, which which it might mean a few people miss us, which would be disappointing. Um, I mind you, probably quite a few people will be glad to see the back of me. So <laughs> mixed blessings, right? Okay, we've um, we've had a really lovely chat, Xanthi, uh, and I've really enjoyed getting your your point of view. Um, and we sort of step out now of our temporarily created better place to live and we move back to a sort of slightly uh slightly safer ground um this podcast is as much about uh the people who come on it as it is about the disgust and i like to know a little bit about and i like to play a little guessing game uh and i always like to sort of tie things up at the end with this little three point exercise that we have so you get to choose a book uh, that you would have with you on your desert island. It doesn't need to be a specific desiccated island of any type. It may may just be a self-inflicted um, bit of me time, okay? But you've only got one book and you're only allowed to have one thing to drink while you flick through it. So you get to choose those two things. And then at the end of the very end of the podcast, if you'd like to, you can nominate somebody to come on the show. They They don't have to. They don't even have to exist. They might be somebody that you've made up um that's also fine there might be a character from history no longer available uh for podcasting although maybe some algorithm of the future will be able to help us with that one um i'd love to hear what your what your book your Mm -hmm. drink and your nominee are point out that the nominee is under no obligation to come on the podcast okay we're not we're not fastidious in pursuing people yeah okay okay um okay so my book I think you said you said it was a cookbook. It has to be a book about food, yeah. So okay. it doesn't okay. necessarily have to be a recipe book. Um, yeah. But I think, yeah, a, yeah, yeah, within that spectrum. Okay, so the book would be um, the Third Plate by Dan Barber. Have you read it? No. Oh my goodness, you have to read it. It's yeah. Well. <laughs> I think I've, I think I've read it twice, Excuse but me. I am 
I'm ready to read it again and again and again and again. It's a perfect book to bring with because there is so much in this book to learn and to engage with and be inspired by. It's like, you know, filled with Dan Barber's stories of how he came to so food sustainability, people he met, journey, the amazing thing. That's just, yeah, it's, re- it's the first book that I read really related to this topic when I was living and working around. Oh my God, I'm in the wrong I'm in the wrong place. I need to, you know, follow what this guy's doing. Um, so yeah, I would take that book. Okay, I need an example. You can't give a book such a glowing review and um, <laughs> and not give me an example of the things in it. And also, I feel, you know, this happens to me all the time. When I started this podcast, God, nearly a year ago, I thought, hang on a minute, there's no way that anyone's going to have read more food books than me. And not only have they, but they keep throwing me all these great things. I mean... The publishers must be rubbing their hands together because, I, you know, every one of these I put out results in me purchasing at least three books. So um, I, I'm, I need an example. Choose something from the book and give it to me. Oh, this is hard because I haven't read it in about three years. Um, okay, let me think. I can't, okay, I'm, I'm not going to think of a particular example, but there are stories Fine. of... So, so some of it's in Dan's... Um, on Dan's farm and in his restaurant. Um, so do, yeah. you, do you know this? Presumably, you know the story about Dan Barber. No, no, no I'm completely in the dark. I, I'm, oh, I mean, oh just imagine God. that I've yeah. just arrived. Ima- <laughs> imagine I've just arrived on the planet and I've no idea about anything. Yeah. Okay, so the the reason I first came about him is because I became obsessed with Chef's Table on Netflix, the series, and I came obsessed with with um, Dan Barber's episode. He has a restaurant in upstate New York, um, where, which was initially, I believe, although this might be, but I think it is, um, his family's farm. And then him and his brother took it over. Um, and I don't think it was organic or anything. Um, and they kind of made it this thriving permaculture. You know, they realized that we grow vegetables properly had um, animals so they got animals they were raised properly and they were killed properly and all of that so that was a thing the, the animals started with chickens pigs and cows um and then he has a restaurant he has a restaurant in new york and a restaurant in but he is like a pioneer of of um farm to table food works with these growers to 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 cross pollinate vegetables in the most incredible way so you know a uh, one of the things he does, which I, I think he talks about in the book, but I think is one of the more um, famous stories, is, you know, he gets a normal butternut squash. He, he's like, OK, butternut squash is fine, but it can be a bit watery and it doesn't amazing as, as it needs a lot with it. So he works with growers and they create tiny butternut squash that has that has got a reduced water content, but has like all of the flavour plus more of normal butternut squash. They're like these tiny amazing nice. squash. And he basically will just serve that on on it as a dish by itself. Or, and then another thing he does is feeds his chicken red peppers and they make the most insane, you know, um, red yolk. Um, but you know, those are kind of, he, those are kind of his on farm um, experiments and workings. But this the book is mainly about his discovery into into kind of you know knowing um there's a lot about um foie gras and tuna and all of these all of these areas that have um issue in the food world and um being a bit controversial and he delves in, um goes and meets farmers about those finds the most sustainable version of everything yeah 
It's amazing. Start by start by watching his episode on on um, Chef's Table, and then and then you'll be going to watch. It's too late. I'm I'm busy rifling through used book websites now to try and find a find a copy. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, so that's it. I'm, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sort of oversaturated with food television, but that does sound like something I'm, I would like to watch. And I now feel like a complete idiot for not knowing who the guy is. Um, so, so there we go. That's a, that's a positive outcome for the Madam's Cast episode, if ever there was one. Um, it's nice to, to realise that not everybody knows everything and that everyone has something to learn from somebody else. So thank you very much yeah. for bringing Dan Barber to my attention. Um, okay. I'm sure my regular listeners will be will be emailing me to say, you moron, how could you not know who Dan Barber is? Well, you know, I have I have spent my life plodding around doing my thing and I've bumped into some people and I've not bumped into others and that's my excuse and I'm sticking with yeah, it. Yeah, and, so. <laughs> and also he's in, he's in America and, and we've got sort of enough amazing stuff going on with our food world over here. So, you know, leave, leave um, America over, I guess. <laughs> Well, it's nice of you to try and make me feel less stupid. So thanks very much for that. Um, <laughs> what I would like from you next is to know while you're flicking through your well-thumbed copy of the third play, Dan Barber, <laughs> what are you going to are you going to sip on? Okay, I I have two options and I love them both. But one one would be a margarita, but they are, they are so alcoholic that I wouldn't be able to sip through it. I'd only have one and then I'd be asleep. <laughs> So I'd probably <laughs> go for <laughs> a really nice um, a bottle of natural red wine. That would be my ideal. Okay, okay. Let me be clear about this. The occasional getting so drunk you fall asleep is fine. All right, <laughs> okay. that's okay. You're allowed to do that sometimes. <laughs> Just sometimes, that's all right. And a margarita is a very pleasant way of doing it. So um, you go for it, girl, whenever you feel the need. Uh, but a bottle of natural red wine, yeah, I mean... Um, red wine it's enchanting isn't it uh, you know white yeah. wine wine grapes in and of themselves what a successful plant they have become uh, and what oh, a difference no. you know what a difference it makes when it's not full of sulfates and it's had some care that's also true mm-hmm. so natural red wine have you got a current favorite you're allowed to name it if you have um i i kind of uh, i'm not very picky i i like anything with a sweet body red um, cherry. Um, there's a there's a um, place that I buy my wine from, which is called Natural Born Wines, and pretty much any stock I will love. So I'll go for anything on their website. Well, there we go, and we're very happy to to hear the name of them. Um, uh, hopefully, hopefully somewhere down the magic of the internet, someone will hear that name and go, "Oh, I can have a look at that." I'll certainly go and check yeah, them exactly. out. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's such a treat. You might as well enjoy it and it might as well be something delicious. Um, so exactly. I'm on that one. Oh, right. Okay. Well, there we go. Xanthi, uh, you have successfully navigated uh, the Madam's Cast. <laughs> I, if everyone listening has been enthralled by what you've had to say, um, Dan Barber's publishing agent, for one, will probably want to email you and thank you. Um, can you give us a shout? I mean, how do we, I mean, I know, obviously, that I can follow you on Instagram, but what's your Instagram handle and what are you doing? Because I know it's been a difficult time for us chefs and that you are uh, you are a chef person. Um, uh, you know, what are you up to? Have you got any plans for some amazing foodie events? So, um my Instagram is just Xanthi Gladstone. Um, good luck in spelling correctly. Hopefully, it'll come description of this podcast. So you're you're halfway challenged. Um, um, I think, I mean, yeah, I hopefully have a lot planned, but I 
I'm kind of too anxious to really set anything in stone for the next few months because I I mean I, I don't want to be a negative Nancy but I'm too nervous about cancelling and rearranging stuff for like the hundredth time in the last year um but I really can't wait yeah. to get you know to get hosting um supper cards here of Wales which is really really exciting um there's a beautiful Victoria which is where I grow um and it happens to have this amazing table in it perfect people around and serving them inside the greenhouse um and that I can't wait to do I can't wait to be around people and talk to people about food and cook for people um so hopefully lots of events and stuff before as well um and yeah to do that I think my family is starting to get a little bit relentlessly for them so um I think <laughs> <laughs> sure they don't um, know how lucky they are I'm sure they don't know yeah um exactly. awesome well look you know it's Anthony I'll be there I'll be I'll be queuing up to come and try some of your food that's for sure and, and I like you feel that it is um it's been slightly emotionally crushing not to be able to cook mm-hmm. for other people it is ultimately what gets me out of bed in the morning so um i hope like you that we have a much brighter summer ahead of us with lots of people being able to connect again for all the good that that will bring um thanks really massive thanks for all oh, firstly did, have i spelt your name right yes you have <laughs> Yeah, you saw my name. <laughs> okay, I was just checking. Just checking that wasn't a casual dig. Um, so, uh, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, Xanthi Gladstone, thanks so much for joining us and um, or for joining me and the other listeners here. Are all very grateful that you've come along to say hi and share your story with us. Um, and um, you know, brilliant. Good luck with everything, and I hope to see you soon. Thanks, Tim. Really nice to chat. Brilliant. Cheers, Xanthi. Bye. Eagle-eyed listeners will have definitely noticed that Xanthi Gladstone has just mentioned the same book by the same author as Anne Brownlee uh, in the previous episode. However, I failed to notice this at the time, probably because I was making notes or basically just being useless. Uh, I've since ordered the book, The Third Plate by Dan Barber, and I'm looking forward to reading it.